Generally, individuals enjoy certain tax benefits when selling or exchanging property. Among these benefits are capital gains treatment, installment sale reporting, and the ability to report losses on these sales, to name a few. The tax law has significant modifications to these general rules when the sales or exchanges are deemed to be between related parties. I will now highlight some of these modifications so that you can avoid accidentally falling into one of these traps. Welcome to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Jeff Skolnick and I'm a CPA with 35 years of experience working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and network marketers on how to make their business more successful by understanding how taxes can work in their favor and not hurt their business. Each and every week I'm going to come to you with short, quick, and helpful tips on not only how to make sure you are doing everything possible to minimize your income tax liability, but also how to create the income for your business that you truly deserve. As I mentioned in the opening, individuals, when selling or exchanging property, generally enjoy certain tax benefits. And the three biggest ones are capital gains treatment, installment sale reporting, and the ability to report losses on these sales. But when the, pro- the, when the parties are deemed to be related, there are modifications to these rules. And I want to let you know what these are so you don't fall into some of these traps. So the first thing to keep in mind is that the definition of a related party is different depending on which situation we are discussing. For example, a sale between related parties that would otherwise be considered a capital gain, which, if it's considered long-term capital gain, has preferential income tax rates, may be taxed as ordinary income. This occurs if the property is considered to be depreciable property in the hands of the buyer even if it's not depreciable property in the hands of the seller. So in my example, I will use a rental property. Let's say we have a building with an original cost of $500,000. The building has $100,000 of accumulated depreciation and a fair market value of $700,000. Let's further assume the building has been held for more than one year, qualifying it for long-term capital gain status. And when the sale takes place, the gain is calculated by taking the sales price of $700,000 less the basis of the property of 400,000. The 400,000 is calculated by taking the original cost of 500,000 and reducing it by $100,000 of accumulated depreciation. So again, if we take the 700,000, we subtract the basis of 400,000 and we arrive at a gain of $300,000. Ordinarily, the maximum tax rate on the first $100,000, which is considered a recapture of that depreciation, is 25%. Again, this, re- this gain will be attributed to the depreciation that had previously been taken. The remaining $200,000 of gain would be considered long-term capital gain, taxed at a maximum of 20%. Please also keep in mind that capital gains are considered investment income and may be subject to an additional 3.8% tax depending on your income. Now, if the sale is deemed to have taken place between related parties, then the entire $300,000 gain would be taxed at ordinary income tax rates rather than long-term capital gains rates or the 25% rate on depreciation recapture. Now, ordinary rates may be as high as 37%. Since this is such a dramatic difference in tax treatment, 
It is important that we know who is considered a related party for this type of transaction. And although I don't like to do too much in code, I like to keep everything in English, uh, sometimes we have to go there. And this is governed by Internal Revenue Code Section 1239. And the code section defines related parties um, as follows. One, a person and all entities which are controlled entities with respect to that such person. And I'm going to explain what that means in a minute. Uh, the second situation is a taxpayer and any trust in which the taxpayer or his or her spouse is a beneficiary unless, unless such beneficiary's interest is less than 5%. So if, if so, you and any trust that um, either yourself or your spouse is a beneficiary, unless you or your spouse is less than a 5% beneficiary, that would be considered a related party transaction. And in most cases, an executor of an estate and a beneficiary of such estate. And again, I think that's fairly straightforward. But let me go to number one, which is where we're going to have most of our issues. And again, that says... A person and all entities which are controlled entities with respect to such person. So what's a controlled entity? Controlled entities are generally a corporation, partnership, or LLC owned 50% or more by an individual or his or her spouse, siblings, parents, lineal ancestors, and lineal descendants. Now, while I know this is a very technical Keep in mind any corporation, LLC, or partnership owned 50% or more by you and or your family that I just defined can trigger this situation. Also keep in mind this rule does not apply to individuals. So if two individuals sell or exchange property, the rule will not apply even if the two individuals are related family members and therefore capital gain treatment is allowed. Now, second trap that I, I wanna mention are losses considered non-deductible. Now, when property is sold or exchanged between related parties, no loss is allowed on the transaction. Related parties under this trap are all of those listed under the previous example concerning disallowance of capital gain treatment and also include transactions with family members previously discussed. So it's basically the same as controlled entities. However, However, sales between individuals also can, are considered to be related party transactions. So the tax treatment to the buyer upon the sale of the property is also a little tricky as they may benefit from the loss disallowed. This is really best explained by providing the example used by the IRS in their publication 544. So I'm going to give you an example. Your brother sold stock to you for $7,600. His cost basis was $10,000. His loss of $2,400 was not deductible because you're a related party. You later sell the same stock to an unrelated party for $10,500. So you have paid $7,600 for it, sold it for $10,500, so you've realized a gain of $2,900. Your recognized gain, though, is only $500. The gain that is more than a $2,400 loss not allowed to your brother. So in other words, your brother was not allowed the $2,400 loss when he sold the property with a $10,000 cost basis to you for $7,600. But when you sell the, pro the property for a gain, you are allowed to use the $2,400 disallowed to your brother. So again, that $2,900 gain that you had is reduced by the $2,400 loss that 
he couldn't take, and therefore you only have a $500 gain. Okay, now, let me give you another example, or, or the other example from the publication. Assume the same facts that we just went over, except that you sell the, you sell the stock for $6,900 instead of $10,500. Your recognized loss is only $700. You paid $7,600, and you sold it for $6,900. You cannot deduct the loss not allowed to your brother. So if you sell at a loss, the um, loss that was disallowed to your brother is gone forever. If you sell it again, you can use the loss that was disallowed by your brother to offset your gain. Now, the last big um, uh, trap that I want to discuss is the loss of the ability to use the installment sale method. Now, taxpayers often sell depreciable property. Again, I'm going to use the example of a rental property on the installment basis. Going back to the example I started with, let's assume we sell a building for $700,000 with a cost basis of $400,000. This obviously yields a $300,000 gain. For purposes of this example, we're going to ignore the 25% versus 20% income tax rates and discuss only the amount of income to be recognized and assume all is simply at long-term capital gains rates. The way an installment sale works is that a certain portion of each payment received is gain and a portion is return of principal. Let's assume the buyer pays $210,000 in the year of the sale. The total sales price is $700,000 and the total gain is $300,000. Therefore, three-sevenths of each payment is considered gain. The seller would realize gain on the $210,000 of $90,000, three-sevenths of $210,000. Let's further assume that the buyer will make payments of $70,000 in each of the following seven years. The seller would pick up $30,000 of income in each of those years, again, three-sevenths of $70,000. The end result is the seller would pay tax on $300,000, but it, was, it would be spread over eight years. If the sale occurs between related parties, again, we are using the definition supplied by uh, Section 1239, which is the controlled entities. The seller would not be entitled to installment gain treatment and would have to pay tax on the entire $300,000 gain in the year of sale, even though they only receive $210,000. So again, keep that in mind. If, if the installment sale is disallowed, the seller will pick up the entire $300,000 gain in year one, even if they only receive $210,000. Obviously, there would be no income tax on any payments received after the year of the sale. So in both instances, the taxpayer pays tax on $300,000, but obviously it is preferable to spread that over eight years rather than to pick it up in one. So as you can imagine, if a taxpayer does not discover this fact until March or April when they're filing their tax return, this can be an awful surprise. I also want to mention um, one more trap, uh, loss of like-kind exchanges. Like-kind exchanges are exchanges of real property for real property. Once again, I will start with the general rule that in such an exchange, no gain or loss is recognized and the property received has the same tax basis as the property given up. There may be tax ramifications if money is involved. So in other words, if one if you exchange property, one property is worth a little more than the other, so money is exchanged, then that can, um, that can cause uh, tax ramifications. Uh, but for our purposes, assume both properties are of equal value. If the two parties are deemed related, 
again, this time using the same rules as the disallowance trap, meaning that you bring uh, individuals into it as well as controlled entities. The non-recognition treatment will be disallowed if the related party disposes of the property within two years of the transaction. So in other words, if you do a like-kind exchange with a related party, uh, and again, there'll be no recognition of gain or loss at that point, if that related party sells or disposes of that property within two years of the original transaction, uh, it will become a, a taxable event, and uh, you'll have to obviously deal with the tax consequences of that. And I just want to conclude by saying there are significant traps that you should be aware of when selling or exchanging property with related parties. With proper planning, some may be avoided and some may not. Obviously, planning that eliminates the problem totally is preferable, but even if a situation cannot be avoided, it is better to be aware of that before finalizing a deal with ramifications you did not account for. It is because of these traps that I urge you, as always, to consult with a tax professional well-versed in this area of the law before selling or exchanging property with a related party. Thanks again for listening to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. If you could please head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify and leave me a five-star rating and write a review. Also, please connect with me on social media. If there are any tax or accounting related topics you would like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. If you are that small business owner or entrepreneur that really wants to learn more about how to minimize your tax liability and maximize your income, just head over to www.jeffcpaworld.com and I'll see you over there. Have a great day.